Good morning, everyone. I'm good. Good response. <laughs> I'm Brian. Uh, yeah, let's get right into it. I would like to uh, pray first because uh, a professor that I had used to always say, "Let's ask for God's help because we're going to need it." So let's pray. Sovereign Lord, good Father. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to gather uh, together this morning. Uh, we don't take it for granted. We don't take it lightly uh, that we can freely uh, come together uh, here uh, and, and worship you, uh, speak your name out loud, uh, and uh, open open the scriptures and learn what you have to say. Uh, Father, Please uh, help me to uh, speak the word well and help everyone in here to uh, listen uh, and hear the word well uh, so that everyone might know Jesus better uh, by the time they leave uh, than they do right now. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to play a little bit of a Who Am I game. Uh, So who am I talking about here? Uh, someone whose arrival was prophesied in the Old Testament. Uh, God sent an angel to his parents to predict his birth. Uh, he was born of a woman who shouldn't have been able to have any children. Uh, he started his public ministry at around age 30. Uh, his message was accepted by sinners but rejected by the Pharisees. Uh, and he was eventually imprisoned and killed. Who am I talking about? Yeah, so I hear some of you got the hint and are not falling for my trick. Uh, if you thought I was talking about Jesus, uh, all those things are true about Jesus, uh, but no, that wasn't who I was talking about. I was talking about John the Baptist. Uh, it's really interesting, all these parallels uh, between John the Baptist's life and Jesus' life. And, you know, God is sovereign and control over everything, and he can do really cool things like that. Uh, there's also some, uh, you know, big differences, uh, but I just wanted to start with those kind of uh, parallels. Uh, John did have his birth uh, predicted. Uh, an angel came to his father, uh, and his mother was uh, barren at the time. Uh, so not a virgin, <laughs> but barren. Uh, uh, John leaped within his mother's womb when Jesus, uh, when Mary came with Jesus in her womb, uh, when they came together. Uh, Zechariah, his father, uh, upon his birth, uh, prophesied what his role would be and, and repeated things from the Old Testament about John preparing the way for God's chosen Messiah. Uh, and then once he was old enough, he went out and lived in the wilderness for a long time wearing uh, camel's hair uh, and eating locusts and honey. That's kind of like a prophet thing to do. And then he was called by God. He received a call by God uh, uh, that's very much in the vein of the Old Testament prophets. It says, the word of God came to John. Uh, and then his prophetic role was defined in the Old Testament in Malachi 3, uh, starting in verse 1. It says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Uh, so 
Uh, John was supposed to be this messenger uh, that came before the coming uh, of God's servant. Uh, John had a very specific message. Uh, he preached uh, repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So he came out saying, you are sinful, you are deserving of God's wrath, uh, repent and your sins will be forgiven. Uh, and that's the teaching that John uh, went out and gave. Uh, he, contempt, he condemned those who refused to repent. So then he had uh, the sinners, the tax collectors, all those same people who uh, you probably recognize as having responded to Jesus' ministry, uh, responded to John's ministry first. Uh, the Pharisees came out, and John called them a brood of vipers because they uh, were proud and they uh, refused to repent of their sins. Uh, and then eventually, uh, probably before Jesus' ministry, uh, definitely before the passage we get to today, uh, he was thrown in jail because he rebuked the wrong person. The right person because he was doing his job, but when you rebuke King Herod, uh, King Herod got mad uh, and he threw him in prison. Uh, and uh, that's where he stands when we get to the passage we, we uh, already heard today. The interesting thing about John, uh, he has such this great role uh, in, his, uh, in his life. Uh, and he has uh, uh, words from God and he saw the Spirit come down on Jesus. Uh, but John was also a doubter. Uh, John had doubts about who Jesus was. And we see that in the passage today. Let me talk about doubts a little bit. Um, I've struggled from doubts before. Uh, I, when I struggle from doubts, it's not usually about the existence of God. It's about um, that I could be included uh, in God's family uh, because of my sin. Uh, but that is doubting God because uh, God promises to adapt those who believe in Jesus. Um, other people doubt the existence of God. Uh, they doubt his goodness. Uh, they doubt that Jesus' sacrifice uh, is enough. Uh, or they uh, doubt for various reasons, because of suffering, for instance. Um, so if you've ever had doubts, then you're in good company. Uh, because John, who's called the greatest person to ever live by the time of Jesus, uh, doubted who Jesus was. Uh, so, well, let's turn to Luke 7. If you're not already there. Uh, and I'll read Luke 7, 18 to 28. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when, men had, and when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. 
When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft, soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare the, your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Uh, there's a parallel account uh, in Matthew 11, 2 through 19, uh, just in case you want to read it. Don't do it now. Uh, but it's, it's relatively similar with just a couple of differences. Uh, but today we're in Luke. Um, yeah, so... As I explained before, uh, John is in prison at this time. Uh, we know that he's in prison, and we know that he's got disciples uh, reporting to him. His disciples are uh, kind of uh, probably serving him and, and reporting the news to him. Uh, and so they, re- they report about what Jesus is doing. Uh, let me tell you what Jesus uh, had been doing up to this time in just the Gospel of Luke alone. Uh, He started his ministry with a sermon where he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so far he's driven out demons, he's healed sicknesses. Uh, In Luke 5 he heals a leper. Uh, He heals and forgives a paralyzed man uh, and a man with a withered hand. Uh, He proclaims blessings upon the poor, uh, hungry, mourning, and persecuted. Uh, And just now in chapter 7, coming up on this passage, he has healed a centurion's servant. He has raised the widow's son from the dead. Uh, And all of this is just a part of what Luke records. I skipped over a few things. Um, uh, and And Luke doesn't record everything. There's crowds following Jesus around every day, wherever he goes, uh, and Jesus is healing people. Jesus is performing miracles. Uh, uh, Al right? Um, let me just uh, say as an aside that uh, miracles in history have been relatively rare. Uh, I know that sometimes we doubt because uh, we read a, con- a concentrated account uh, of miracles and visions uh, but I've never seen something like that with our own eyes. Um, there have been more than 2,000 years uh, since uh, before Jesus, so like uh, from uh, Abraham to Jesus, more than 2,000 years. Uh, and most of the miracles that happened are then recorded in this just relatively small space of the Old Testament. Um, and then when we get to 400 years before Jesus, uh, there were no prophets uh, during that time, uh, and very few miracles. Uh, one that you might have heard of from that time is the one at Hanukkah, uh, where some oil that was supposed to last one day lasted eight days. Uh, but other than other than that, and maybe a couple others, 
Uh, there have been very few miracles. Uh, and so sometimes we read uh, the Bible and you know we read Daniel maybe and we see uh, the, Daniel's friends being rescued from the fire and Daniel being rescued from the mouth of the lions uh, and then Daniel receiving visions and visions. Uh, and so there are some miracles in concentrated spaces but overall they've been relatively rare. Uh, there are also miracles, I will say that there are miracles that happen today. Uh, I don't have time to talk about that uh, too much now, uh, but you can ask me later about uh, testimony that I've read and heard. Um, but let me say that here then, uh, in Jesus' ministry with Jesus, there is an explosion of miracles. He's doing tons of miracles every day because crowds are following him around. Uh, crowds of uh, sick people, uh, people with uh, evil spirits, uh, people who are blind, people who are deaf, people who need help, and Jesus is healing them. And so John hears all about all of this while he's still in prison, uh, and perhaps he's wondering why he's still there in prison. Uh, Jesus, in, in that sermon that he preached in Luke 4, uh, talked about all these things that he's been doing, and he also talked about liberty for captives. Uh, and that's the, the only thing that he really hasn't done in his ministry so far, uh, is set free any captives. Uh, so perhaps John is hearing about this and thinking, ah, look at me, I'm here in prison. When's Jesus going to set me free? Uh, so he sends disciples to Jesus to ask, are you the one to come, or should we look for another? Uh, even John, this great, this great man, had these doubts about who Jesus was uh, because of the suffering that he was going through. What do you notice about Jesus' answer? First thing I notice is that Jesus doesn't give a direct answer. Uh, he doesn't say, yes. I'm the Messiah. Thank you, John, for preparing the way. Now I'm here. Good work. Doesn't say that. Uh, the second thing I notice uh, is that Jesus uh, engages uh, the people's minds uh, and their eyes. Uh, so what he does, instead of giving the direct answer, is he immediately turns around to the crowds and starts healing a bunch of people. Right? It says, in that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits and bestowed sight on many blind people. So immediately when John's disciples come asking this doubt-filled question, uh, he turns around and he starts healing people. Imagine being there. Uh, the disciples are coming with these, coming with these questions. Uh, and at the same time there's a blind man calling out and Jesus turns around and heals them right in front of you. Uh, and there's a person uh, suffering with bleeding and Jesus turns up and heals them right in front of you and you're witnessing all these miracles. Right? And then he turns around and starts talking to them and speaking about his works. Right? And when he speaks about his works, uh, the listeners are supposed to connect what he did to the predictions of the Old Testament. Right? He says, tell John what you've seen. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. 
so I, Jesus did do some of those things right there, but it doesn't say that he raised any dead, and it doesn't say that he preached good news to the poor right there. So Jesus is obviously um, making a bigger list of what he has been doing. Um, and all of these things uh, are found in the Old Testament. I have a short list here. It's not a complete list. Uh, but in uh, it's mostly from Isaiah. Isaiah 11.4 talks about the poor hearing the good news. Isaiah 29, 18, and 19 uh, talk about the, the blind seeing and the deaf hearing. Isaiah 35, 5 to 6 uh, talk about the sight for the blind, hearing for the deaf, uh, and uh, the lame to walk again. Uh, Isaiah 42, 7 uh, talks about sights for the blind and freedom for captives. Uh, so, uh, Isaiah 42, 18, sight for the blind, hearing for the deaf. Uh, Isaiah 61.1, uh, which is where Jesus took that sermon from, uh, talks about good news for the poor. Uh, and then uh, Isaiah 26.19, talking about the, uh, the dead being raised. Uh, Hosea 13.14, talking about the dead being raised. Uh, and then there's no prediction in the prophets about uh, people being healed from leprosy, but there is an instance in 2 Kings uh, where the prophet uh, Elisha uh, heals uh, somebody from leprosy. Uh, so all these things have happened before in God's kingdom, uh, and uh, God is predicting that when his servant comes, these things are going to happen again. Uh, and so Jesus is engaging these people who are supposed to know the scriptures. He's engaging their mind. Uh, he has a demonstration uh, and then a lesson. The demonstration of the miracles uh, and then the, uh, the lesson that says, hey, you know the prophets, you know the prophecies, you see these things being done. Am I the one who is to come? Because here's the thing about doubt. Jesus does not expect blind faith. Uh, critics of Christianity, I know, often say that Christians are uh, stupid, uh, for putting their faith in something they can't see. Uh, they criticize Christianity for, uh, I don't know, lack of evidence or for being against science, which is kind of uh, ridiculous in my opinion. Uh, but Jesus, uh, even though he's God, doesn't come and say, I'm the Messiah and just expect people to, uh, to just trust him. God always backs up his claims. In fact, uh, throughout the entire Bible, I can only think of one occasion that God might have expected blind faith, and it was when he called Abraham uh, to leave everything that he knew uh, and go to the place where God was telling him to go. Um, I don't know, maybe Abraham had stories of God from before that. Uh, but for the rest of Abraham's life, he had these, these promises that God had made for him. Uh, Moses had uh, miracles that God gave him so that when people asked him who sent him, he could perform these miracles. Uh, Israel had stories of the exodus, of being led through the midst of the Red Sea uh, so that they could always reference that when they were asked to trust who God was. Um, Jesus then comes uh, and he, <laughs> he doesn't expect uh, to just be blindly trusted, but he, uh, he says trust on the evidence of the miracles. 
And now for us, uh, we have trustworthy witnesses. Uh, we have uh, scriptures written by people who saw with their own eyes what Jesus did. Uh, Luke's stated purpose in writing this book is that he investigated everything carefully so that the person he's writing to could know the truth of what he's been taught. And that's in addition to whatever God's done in your life, uh, which can also be counted as evidence. So all these miracles verify what the Old Testament says. Uh, They verify the Old Testament prophecies to show that Jesus is indeed the promised one to come. Uh, So let me again take a little aside to tell you to read your Old Testament. It's worth it. It's valuable. Everything in the Old Testament uh, comes and points back to Jesus. Uh, So just because you uh, only find Jesus, his name in the New Testament, uh, don't forget to go back and learn about uh, what God has been doing from the Old Testament. It's such a a great... uh, Oh man, I love the Old Testament. So you could uh, get me all excited about that. So, Jesus graciously contributes this evidence to John so that he uh, can have faith while he's in prison, uh, that everything that he's worked for, uh, John's John's not, he's not doubting that a Messiah will come, uh, but he doubts that Jesus is the Messiah, uh, and Jesus uh, answers his doubts so well. And then he adds verse 23, he says, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Uh, if you read some other translations, you might see, uh, blessed is the one who doesn't stumble on account of me. Uh, that, that word, uh, offended, is kind of like uh, offended in such a way that it causes rejection. Right? I'm offended by Jesus, so I reject him. Or it is used of uh, stumbling, I think it's the same word used in Jude that's uh, scheduled for the benediction later uh, for stumbling. So, uh, yeah, so blessed, blessed is the one who does not stumble, is not offended by me. Uh, John had a tough moment and a tough time in his life. <laughs> so I think that Jesus adds this a uh, little beatitude, blesses the ones, little beatitude, uh, to, to encourage John, uh, to say, hey, look, you had, you had a rough moment, uh, but don't doubt anymore. I've given you the proof, don't doubt anymore. And Jesus encourages John to trust in him. Moving on to verse 24, when John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John, saying, What did you go out in the wilderness to see? And he asked two rhetorical questions. Did you go out to see a reed? He said, Shaken by the wind. A a reed is uh, uh, weak and flimsy. Uh, And so Jesus is saying, John is not like this. John is not a weak and flimsy reed swayed by the wind. Uh, So be encouraged that strong people can doubt too. Uh, Did you go out to see a man in soft clothing? Uh, John's clothing was anything but soft. He wore itchy clothing from uh, camel's hair. Uh, So instead of 
being somebody whose life was devoted to uh, luxury, his life was devoted to God. Um, even somebody whose life is devoted to God uh, can experience those doubts. No, instead of being those things, John is a prophet. Not just any prophet, he's the best prophet. He's uh, God's promised Messiah included a promise of somebody to prepare the way, and that's the one who John got to be. So he's more than a prophet. He's the best prophet. Uh, he's the one of whom it's written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. That's from Malachi, right? Uh, And so perhaps, uh, <laughs> perhaps in this public doubt situation, John's reputation could have suffered a little bit. People, uh, crowds flocked around John too. Uh, and so when, when John doubts, maybe, they, uh, <laughs> maybe John's reputation could suffer. Uh, but but uh, Jesus ensures that John is given honor here. He says he's somebody strong. He says he's somebody uh, devoted to God. He says that he's the best prophet. And then he concludes with this little perplexing little statement. Uh, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Who is uh, was confused by that statement the first time that they read that one? Uh, I know that I was. <laughs> it was a little bit tough for me to figure out what was going on there. Uh, but then I read John 3. So if you keep your finger in Luke, but t- turn to John 3 for a second. Uh, hopefully we can help clear this up a little bit. Uh, besides Luke, the book of John includes a, a good bit about John the Baptist. Uh, it's named for the disciple John, but it has a lot about John the Baptist. And John says this, uh, starting in verse 28 of chapter 3. John the Baptist says, You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase but I must decrease. So, John the Baptist uh, references a wedding. So who's the greatest person at a wedding who is not the bride or groom? Probably today the maid of honor, right? But (laughs) in this this, uh, scenario in the ancient weddings, it was uh, the friend of the bridegroom, which is like the equivalent of the best man. Uh, and John calls himself the best man, uh, but there's also the bride to consider, and the bride is, uh, as Jesus often says, the bride is uh, the collective uh, group of people who believe in him, and he is the groom. So, would anybody go to a wedding and get confused that the best man was the most important person there? I don't think so. Right? And so, and so that's what Jesus is saying about John. John gets to be the greatest person at this wedding. The friend of the bridegroom. He's the one who prepared the way for me. Up until now, there's been nobody greater than him ever born of, of a, a woman ever. Which is everybody. 
Okay? Uh, but after this, all the ones who get to know about Jesus' death and resurrection, uh, all the ones who get to trust in him for forgiveness, uh, to be members of the new covenant, everything that God promised in the, old, in the Old Testament was inaugurated by Jesus, and we get to be a part of it uh, as it spreads around the world. Uh, how great is that? That makes us uh, somehow even greater than John, the one who prepared the way for Jesus. Uh, I guess because uh, because he died before he got to see the fulfillment. And it's not lost on me either that Jesus says uh, the least of you in the kingdom of God uh, will be considered the greatest. Uh, so maybe there's also a little um, encouragement here to humble yourself and encouragement to, uh, to be the least, to be the servant of all, uh, to be the greatest. And uh, turn back to Luke 7 now. So here's when Jesus changes gears. Uh, there's this little aside by Luke talking about the reaction of the people. Uh, so I'll read uh, 29 to 35. It says, when all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation, and what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another, we played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For, the, for John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and, the, and you say he has a demon. The son of man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. So Jesus hears belong to two camps. On the one hand, there's all the people, and the tax collectors too. I think it's funny he has that in there. Just wants to make sure that you know that the tax collectors are here listening. All the people and the tax collectors too. Uh, they were already followers of John. So maybe that's another reason why Jesus uh, made sure to honor John is because uh, all the people who were listening to him were going to accept him were already followers of John. Uh, they were baptized with, the, with uh, what does it say? It says they're baptized with John's baptism. Uh, that means, uh, right, that, remember that John's baptism was a, uh, his teaching was a repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Uh, so all these people, and the tax collectors too, uh, it means they had acknowledged that they were sinful uh, and they had repented. And that's always the first step uh, in the gospel, uh, in, any, in preaching the gospel to anyone. I know that uh, you go out there uh, talking to your friends, your co-workers, your neighbors, whoever, about God, uh, and many of them don't even 
don't even know that they have sin in their lives. They think, oh, I'm, I'm an alright person. Maybe I've done something wrong, but it's not really that bad. Uh, well, the first step to preaching the gospel uh, to anyone, uh, the, the first step in receive, for anyone to receive the gospel is that they first uh, acknowledge that they're sinners. Uh, and so that was the, man, the importance of the role of John the Baptist. Uh, that's why he is considered to prepare the way for Jesus, is because he convicted people of their sin so that they were ready to repent, uh, so that they were ready uh, to know that they couldn't do it on their own, that they needed Jesus. Uh, and so these people declared God to be just. I like the way the NIV puts it. It says they acknowledged that God's way is right. Uh, so when Jesus explains who John is to these people who have been John's followers, they get it. They understand and they praise God. They acknowledge that his way is right. And so the, the final step in John's ministry, uh, so that his role is completed before he dies, is that his disciples leave him and follow Jesus. Remember when John uh, said, John the Baptist said, uh, in that passage I read in John, he says, Jesus must increase, I must decrease. What great humility uh, <laughs> to know that when your role is over, all your disciples will have left you to follow someone else. And that's the completion here. <laughs> John, John finishes his ministry and his disciples acknowledge that God's way is right uh, because of who Jesus is. But there's another group of people listening. It's the Pharisees and the lawyers. And it's not some like shot at the lawyer profession. Uh, these are the people who uh, these are the people who are experts in the Mosaic Law. The uh, Genesis through Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible, it's considered to be the law uh, to, to uh, Jewish people. Uh, and so when it says lawyers there, it's referring to people who are experts in this law. Uh, these people were unrepentant, right? They were not baptized with John's baptism, which means that they did not acknowledge that they were sinful uh, and they didn't repent. And they therefore rejected God's purpose for themselves. What does that mean? What is our purpose? What's, their, what's God's purpose for them? Well, the number one purpose is to repent and believe in Jesus. Uh, and that's a purpose that you can accept or reject, uh, and that these Pharisees and lawyers rejected. These guys looked so good on the outside. Uh, they followed every little rule uh, and regulation. They, um, they did everything written in the law, and then they had this whole fence of other uh, traditions and customs, little tiny rules, to keep them from getting even close to breaking the actual law that was written in the law. So they got all these things that they do. They look so good on the outside because they look like they're following God, but their hearts are rotten. And they refuse to be cleansed. Jesus calls them whitewashed tombs and so in, uh, elsewhere in Scripture. Uh, they look good painted on the outside, but their tombs, they're full of dead bones. Um, they could have accepted a purpose in, Jones, in God's kingdom. Uh, they could have accepted the purpose of spreading the gospel. 
Uh, right? Jesus says elsewhere that uh, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness and then everything that you need will be added to you from there. Uh, so they could have accepted that as their purpose, to seek first God's kingdom. Uh, but instead, they became the ones who crucified Jesus. And so Jesus tells this parable about them uh, here at the end. Uh, he goes to compare uh, the people of this generation. And you see that, it's like, oh boy, this generation, uh, Jesus says that a lot. And when he says that, he is talking about uh, and this evil, twisted generation that deserves wrath. Uh, and it's like a callback to uh, the post-Exodus people of Israel who wandered in the desert for 40 years because God said in Deuteronomy, not one of these men of this evil generation shall see the good land that I swore to give your fathers uh, because they didn't believe and God made them wander, <laughs> wander the wilderness for 40 years so that that generation would die out uh, and a new generation would get to see the promised land. And so when Jesus then brings up this generation, oh boy, uh, evil, twisted, deserving wrath. Right. So to what shall he compare this generation? To children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another, we played the, the flute for you, which is like the music at a wedding. Played the flute for you, but you didn't dance. We sang a dirge, just like a song at a funeral. We sang a dirge and you did not weep. Uh, I don't know, have you ever played with young children? Uh, I have, and they, they often like have this set plan in their head. right? And then they tell you what you have to do next to play along with their plan. Uh, and if you don't do it, you're doing it, you're playing wrong. Uh, and then like the fun is ruined and they complain until you change what you're doing. Some, you know, some children are more flexible than others, but uh, that's the type of children that Jesus is comparing the Pharisees and the teachers of the law to. Uh, children that, uh, that sing and they expect people to dance. Uh, or, so I play the flute and they expect people to dance. Who uh, sing and expect people to, uh, to weep. Uh, and so the, the children that Jesus is, uh, Jesus is comparing these children to the Pharisees and experts of the law who have expectations uh, for John and Jesus that John and Jesus don't meet. John is poor, living in the wilderness. Uh, John is calling them out on their sin, uh, saying they deserve wrath. Jesus is associating with people they don't like. Uh, and he's breaking all their rules. Uh, so, so Jesus finishes with this little proverb. Wisdom is, uh, wisdom is justified by all her children. It's kind of like uh, elsewhere Jesus says, by their fruits you will recognize them. It's kind of like that. Wisdom is justified by all her children. Uh, John appeared crazy to the Pharisees. Uh, living this uh, impoverished, uh, 
prophet's life out in the wilderness. Uh, yet he was the best prophet ever. He was the instrument of, of God uh, to, to prepare the way for the Messiah. And Jesus to the Pharisees appears unclean because he eats, but he drinks. You know, his first miracle was to uh, make wine in a party where they where everybody was already drunk. Right? So Jesus is like, he's eating, he's drinking, uh, he parties with tax collectors and sinners, uh, the people that the Pharisees don't associate with. Uh, yet he does all this, and yet he heals people daily, uh, and he forgives sins, uh, and he raises people from the dead, and he's going to rise from the dead himself uh, so that he can save many. So the Pharisees and the lawyers um, make these demands of people. Uh, they, they're like telling people to follow all these little rules that aren't even written in the Bible just to make sure they don't even get close to the Bible. Uh, but all they're doing is putting a wall between them and God and causing them to stumble rather than to help them. And so the children of John and Jesus' wisdom is this fruit of righteousness uh, that proves that John and Jesus are indeed wise. The children of the Pharisees and the experts in the law is to cause these people, uh, cause the people to get farther from God and it proves that they're not wise at all. So to conclude, then I want to ask you to examine your own life. Even people who appear godly can be filled with pride such that their life is spiritually dead and they're a burden to others around them. That's the worst case scenario. I hope it's not you, but if it is, you've got to get out of it. <laughs> you have to humble yourself because God promises to oppose the proud but give grace to the humble. You can find that promise in James 4. Uh, and that's also from the Old Testament. Have you ever trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins? Uh, if not, what is keeping you from the repentance and, and belief? If you do believe, is there still pride in your life that you need to release? Uh, or perhaps uh, judgments of somebody whose way of following God uh, kind of rubs you the wrong way? I ask you to, to uh, look at yourself and, and um, see if there's a place where you need to humble yourself uh, so that you follow the examples of all the people and the tax collectors too, uh, these people known for, <laughs> for being sinful, uh, the tax collectors, but they humble themselves and repented. And don't, have, don't follow the example of the Pharisees who... <laughs> who were like whitewashed tombs, uh, who were filled with death and caused people to stumble because they were too prideful. And then let's return to the subject of doubt. Are you suffering from doubt, like John the Baptist was? Brothers and sisters, you can have confidence in who Jesus is. But you don't need to feel bad for doubting. 
do what John did. And John did the right thing. Uh, ask God for help. John sent people to, to talk to Jesus. Uh, you have access to God at all times through prayer. Uh, you also have access to uh, the body of which Jesus is the head. And I'm talking about the church. If you have doubts, go talk to somebody. Ask me. Uh, ask somebody from this church. Uh, ask Pastor Mitch when he comes back uh, from his vacation. Uh, uh, talk to somebody uh, in the church. Because God has given like, like oodles of wisdom uh, to many people of the church who can uh, listen and wrestle with you. Uh, and if you are somebody who uh, somebody comes to you with doubts, uh, be patient with that person. Uh, listen to them. Uh, don't, don't, like, uh, don't force them to believe with blind faith uh, because even Jesus didn't do that. Uh, let, them, uh, let them hear the scriptures. Uh, let them explore it. And, and, and God's way of, of truth will come out eventually. And even the greatest guy, <laughs> the greatest prophet, doubted who Jesus was, and Jesus was patient and gracious to him, uh, just as he will be with you, any of you who doubt. So let's pray. Sovereign Lord, good Father, we thank you so much for your patience with us. Thank you so much for the way that you give us grace. That when we doubt, uh, you allow us to uh, sort it out, to wrestle with it. Uh, That you don't expect faith without evidence. That you've given us reliable witnesses and mounds of historical evidence to know that Jesus is your promised Messiah. And that you always fulfill your promises to us. God, for us who are doubting right now, uh, who are doubting whether you exist, who are doubting uh, whether you are good, who are doubting whether we are good enough to be included in your family, or whatever doubt, uh, God, I pray that you would uh, show them the answer, show them the, you know, the evidence they need to see, uh, give them the help they need. I pray that you would uh, bring humility to everyone in this room, because Jesus declared that the one who is the greatest among us is the one who serves uh, the one who acts like the least. And so I pray that nobody in your kingdom would be found to be prideful and that we would love others with the sacrificial love that even brought Jesus to the cross and death for our sins. Father, even in the midst of our doubts, we trust you. We give you space to work in our lives. Um, God, for this week, uh, single out out the issue that we need to work on most and be gracious and patient with us uh, as we stumble and fail. 
um, as we work towards sanctification. In Jesus' name, amen.